Welcome to Unbreakable Spirit, stories of inspiring and thriving with Jennifer Seven, co-author of a book that is part of the Sisterhood Folios, a number one international bestseller. This is a podcast about real women who've overcome tremendous obstacles and come out on the other side to thrive. Whether their hardships were financial, relational, or health, these women dug deep and found the light out of the dark to rise from the ashes, to find the ability to forgive, to love, and to live an authentic, joyful life. Now, here is your host, Jennifer Seven. Welcome, Unbreakable Spirit listeners, to episode 25. I'm really excited. We've had 25 amazing stories, and we will continue to have more and more amazing stories of unbreakable spirits. Today, I am so fortunate to have Amy Stein here with us. And Amy's mission is to educate and empower others to be their own best healers by reconnecting with the innate intelligence of their own body and with mother nature, reminding yourself that you may get to choose what is best for your own body. Amy does this by teaching you how to reawaken to your intuition as true healing really only occurs when we address the entire package. Her approach is mind-body-spirit, which uses the power of the plants, mindfulness, and breath to assist you in transforming into who you are really meant to be. And she has, her coaching calls are called mind-body-spirit breath sessions. And there is so much more to Amy, but I really want Amy to share her story with you all, you wonderful Unbreakable Spirit listeners, because it's really coming from a place of a health crisis or maybe many health crises yeah. that brought her to where she is today. So Amy, welcome to Unbreakable Spirit. I'm so glad to have you here. Thanks. I'm excited to to speak today to all your followers. Yeah. I, I consider myself an Unbreakable Spirit as well. So I'm glad to mm-hmm. be part of the community. Well, we want to hear your story. So just go ahead and jump in wherever you'd like to start. So basically, I guess long story short is I had a lot of issues growing up as a kid and it it wasn't really addressed. It was kind of, I would say things to my parents that I had stomach aches, I had headaches and I, it was a constant, constant complaining to them. So my mom nicknamed me Sarah Bernhardt. I didn't understand what that oh. was, you know, I'm a child of Dr- the eighties. I don't that, understand that. That's a very dramatic actress, yes, right? Yes. So now I understand what it was, but as a kid, I was just like, you're not hearing what I'm saying. I don't feel good. And so they thought that I just use it as an excuse to get out of doing things. Right. Mm. I didn't want to go to my grandparents or I didn't want to go to this function. And it really was my body giving me messages, but we're not taught that as kids, right? We're just taught that you go to your parents, they take out a bottle of the pink stuff mm-hmm. or they, they give you a, a pill or something, right? And it, it, it'll make it better. It'll go away. And so those types of over-the-counter things were common in my house and I was giving them a lot, but never addressed the issue. And the it, issues kept getting worse the older I got. So I got to high school and I would be blacking out. I'd be throwing up before school every morning. And my mom was just like, you don't want to go to school. Yeah. I was just going to say, she's saying, (laughs) oh, you're stressed out. Yeah. Yeah, You're making yourself sick. This is crazy. Like there's nothing wrong with you. Just go to school. And I was like, no, it happens even when I'm in school. And especially after lunch, I'm, I'm in math class and everything goes black. And I just, I come to, and I'm, I don't know what happened. And I have these really bad headaches 
And I go to the nurse and she doesn't believe me. And she tells me it's because I don't want to be a math, but like, there's something wrong. I, you need to take me to the doctor. Like there's something going on. Now, had you been to the doctor? I had. And again, so I saw a DO since I was 12, but she, she wasn't really familiar with what to do. And, and she kind of listened to what my mom said. Cause she knew us since we were little. And she was like, Oh, you just don't want to go to school. <laughs> Everybody's just telling you don't want right. to go to school. <laughs> and, you know, it's, I wasn't being believed. I wasn't being heard. I wasn't being seen from an extremely mm-hmm. young age. And so this, I didn't realize any of this. Right. So I got to college. The anxiety got worse. I was dealing with depression because no one was listening to me. So the other physical symptoms were getting worse. Again, no one was listening to me. And I made it through grad school. I don't know how, but I made it through. And it was like, I was that person that was still going to bed 21 at eight o'clock at night because I was exhausted. And if I didn't, I couldn't function. And I would wake up tired still. And like, so my friends would laugh at me because I'd have to take like a three hour nap before we went out to the bar. I'd be like, all right, I'm going to go to bed at six o'clock. Come and get me at nine. And then maybe I could do something. And it was just like, it was an ongoing, I just accepted it. Like, this is just who I was. I didn't realize that there was something going on. There was something and wrong. It sounds like it was a vicious cycle. It's like you, you weren't physically feeling good, but then that was causing you anxiety and that was causing right. you depression. And so all of that kept right. cycling. And that's what happens. So when we don't listen to the body, the body will keep giving you different messages in different ways. And so it's frustrating when you don't understand it because you're like, why do I have this new symptom now? So I was just collecting like a, a backpack of symptoms, which became luggage that I was essentially carrying around in young adulthood. So it got the worst when I was working with other chronic pain patients. I was a medical researcher at a big university and I was working with geriatric population, which again is an unseen, unheard population. Mm -hmm. So I was advocating for my patients because I could see there was something going on. And I knew these people, like I knew they weren't making it up. There was something going on. I could see how many narcotics they were taking. I knew, I knew them. I listened to them, unlike the doctors. So I, because I was working with their doctors, the doctors would listen to me. So I would say, you know, I don't think this medication is working for so-and-so, or this person can't get here. We need to find alternate transportation for them or whatever it was that they, they, they were not getting addressed. And it was really demoralizing for them. And it was frustrating for me because I was trying to help them. We were trying to teach them alternative coping skills. We were trying not to push medication in the Mm -hmm. study I was doing. And the problem was that I wasn't drinking the Kool-Aid fully and nobody that was working with me was drinking the Kool-Aid fully. So we, we thought it was a great idea, but we're going to offer these patients additional avenues to help with their pain, to help with their depression, to help with their anxiety, to help with all the other issues and symptoms they're having from the medications, right? So we were trying to give them an alternative route, but we were all indoctrinated of you go to the doctor, they give you a pill you get better. Exactly. And so as much as I was trying to teach this, I still was like, well, you're not doing something right. Mm. You're not compliant because you should be getting better because we're giving you all these medications. I see how many medications you're taking. I see how often you're taking them. Like something's just not adding up. Right. So in a way you were following the same path that was done to you. Exactly. And I did, but I didn't realize it until I became sick. And Mm. then I felt awful. And I thought, Oh my God, I'm a worst person ever because you, that's the whole point is nobody realizes how bad it is until you become sick. Right. And so there was a doctor that I had met and she said, yeah, like you become a better doctor when you're the patient, mm-hmm. when you've been a patient, because if you've never been a patient, you don't get it. And so even though I had advocated for my patients, I had 
spoken up for them. I had said I was seeing, I was hearing them and believing them. I really wasn't. And then I was getting this in my late 20s. You know, they were 65, 70. They're like end of life. I had a good life. It's fine now. I can't get out of bed. I can't do these things. Right. And I'm like, well, I'm in the late 20s and this is happening. What's going on? So I was talking to some of the doctors I was working with. They're like, oh, you're fine. You're just like, you're around them too much and you're just picking up the symptoms. And I was like, no, I think there's something going on. So then I started breaking bones. I'd never broken bones oh. my entire life. Broke both my feet just walking. Oh my. Yeah. I, before that I had to have like crazy knee surgery. I'd never had a surgery before, but my meniscus was completely shredded. Mm-hmm. I'd gone to conservative orthopedist and he looked at me and he said, you have to have surgery. And I was like, Oh, do I really have to? He's like, you have to have surgery. And at that point I was, I thought, well, I, I have to wait until it's a little bit less busy for the study. And he said, well, that's when, when would that be? So yeah, I, like, that's not a good idea, yeah. right? <laughs> so I saw him, I think in May and I said, November. And he was like, I don't, I don't recommend that. He yeah, said, you right. won't be able to walk. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, come on. Like, it's not that bad. He's like, it's bad. Like, I'm going to send you to physical therapy. I'm going to tell you the things that you should do, but I really don't think that you should wait. And I said, well, I need to have someone that's going to take care of me. If you're telling me I'm going to get crutches or have to drive me like, my mom's going to retire in November and my boss is not going to let me take off because the, I'm the one running the whole NIH study. And I said, she's not going to let me take off to the holidays. And he was like, this is your choice, but I don't recommend it. So the next day, I remember I, I went and I talked to the head rheumatologist and I said, I saw this doctor who he knew. And I said, he said, I need to have surgery. And he said, if he said that you have to have surgery, you need to believe him. Mm. And I thought, mom. Like, you know, you still weren't quite listening. And my body thought, oh, you want another sign? So then just kept. So I had the surgery. I was on crutches for three months. He said, this is not like this was like basically knee replacement without artificial parts. So you shouldn't have been on crutches that long. That's the point. It should have been like a week. And I was on crutches for three months. So I couldn't drive. I didn't go back to work for three months. My boss was not happy. I bet. And we had just bought a house and I couldn't get into my house because there was too many stairs and there was no railings. Mm. And so I had to stay with my parents. And so it was just really, there was a lot. And then I, it never healed. So I went back to the doctor. I'm like, it's not healing. Did you see any inflammation? You know, like he knew what I did. And I said, did you see any inflammation? Like were my, it was my blood markers heightened, like anything, right? Like, you know, I knew the signs to look for because I'd been looking at my patient's x-rays and their MRIs and their blood work for years. And he said, I didn't really see anything, but it doesn't surprise me because it was really bad. And, and you kind of waited on it. And I was like, okay. So I kept going to physical therapy and it wasn't working. I wasn't getting better. And then it just progressively got worse. So then I just started breaking bones, just walking. And, and no one's addressing why right breaking oh no no it was again like oh it's just a fluke thing you were I was wearing flats I was you know the ground was a little uneven but literally I rolled my ankle I broke my foot mm. and no one believed me and I'm like no you like this is, I literally walked out of the building once my car came back rolled my ankle broke my foot and so again I didn't think it was broken I just thought it was okay it hurts a lot swollen I'll ice it I'll put some arnica on it I'll call it a day but my body was not happy. So this just progressively got to the point where I became bedridden quickly mm. within nine months. And so this is because your 
of the bones breaking and the knee and yeah so it was all connected no one put it together I kept going back to the orthopedist he's like I don't know what to tell you you work with all these rheumatologists what do they have to say I said they're telling me there's things showing up but the puzzle pieces are not fitting together they can't put me in a box completely so they're just gonna throw they're just gonna throw medication at me until it gets worse And he's like, well, that's basically what we do. And I said, well, that doesn't work for me. And and he said, well, this is this is medicine. Like this is he. You should know this. Like this is what we do with all our patients. And so it was really disheartening for me because the doctors that I had worked with for years didn't believe me. And then I thought, this is scary. So they're not listening to me. My blood work shows something is going on, but my body was giving the signs before the blood work was even showing anything. They had sent me to an endocrinologist. Before the knee thing, like I had full blood work done and some stuff came up and he said, oh, it's fine. You're just really stressed out. You just bought a house. You're getting married. And I said, no, something feels like I'm blacking out. This happened in high school. I'm having migraines. I'm throwing up like this all happened in high school and no one addressed it then. It's worse now. No, no, no. It's just stress. It's just stress. You're fine. And yes, to an extent, stress can do a lot of crazy things. Mm -hmm. I, I wholeheartedly admit that. But there was something going on and no one addressed it because it wouldn't have lasted 12 years. Yeah. Right. So like, it's not going to just resolve itself if it's just stress. So stress compounds all these things. And what compounded it more was not being seen, heard, or believed by all these doctors. So I live in New York. There are a lot of doctors. There are a lot of very famous doctors. And I went to the top of the top and no one could figure it out. So we went through the gamut. We're paying out of pocket for all these doctors. Oh, because nobody yeah. pays insurance. It's two hour commutes into the city each way. And, and, and are you pretty much bedridden except bedridden. for when you're going to appointments? Yeah. My mom is taking me on the train or driving me into the city mm. or driving me to all the doctors locally within 45 minutes. And because I can't drive myself, I can't leave the house because the GI symptoms are so bad. The oh. vertigo has started. With the migraines, I can't think. My brain is like, I've, I, I started, what was a big signal to me was I couldn't get my words. Mm. I thought I was saying one thing and I was saying something completely different. Oh boy. And I would argue with my husband. I would say, no, I said this. He said, you did not say that. You said, and it would be something completely random. And I said, no, I said whatever I thought I said. He said, no, you did it again. So, so you knew what you wanted to say. It yeah. just was coming out like is that aphasia or yes yes okay. and so I was telling the doctors and I'm like my grandfather had a brain tumor do you think I have a brain oh, tumor right so then it starts with all right we're gonna do cat scans and MRIs and MRIs yeah right. up the wazoo we're gonna test you for MS every six months mm-hmm. and so my mom would say do you think it's Lyme we live in an area that my daughter has deer in her yard every single day and she mm-hmm. has a dog and all this stuff no 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 it's not any of these things it's not any of these so like we would come up with suggestions. Again, I would do my own research when my brain was functioning. And I would say, do you think it's this? And the doctors would get really upset that I was questioning anything. We went to medical school. Yeah, you did this thing, but you, you're not a doctor. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I could read a journal just like you, but you're not reading the journals. You're not staying up on the research. So I'm staying up on it. I'm asking you just to run these other tests. They wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. No. And this was a common theme, 30 specialists. Wow. Well, so because they, they, they know better, right? They know better. They didn't listen to what I had to say. They were threatened by me saying, I'm going to do my own research. Mm. And they were threatened by me having ideas, right? They wanted the compliant patient. Mm-hmm. And I was compliant. I took the medications for about a year, year and a half. And I got 
progressively sicker. Mm. And when I would question that, and I would say, maybe I need to change my diet. Maybe I need to eliminate toxins. Oh, I'm putting on deodorant. It's right on my lymph nodes. It's like, what do you think? Maybe I should change these things. No, that's no, 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 no. Right. Okay, no. That's ridiculous. That's not going to make a difference. Take the medication, take more of the medication. Oh, wow. And I thought this does not feel right. I don't understand what this doesn't feel right. I'm not getting better. Why don't they see this? So my worst, I was 85 pounds. Oh my goodness. I couldn't gain weight. They still didn't see anything wrong with that. They thought, oh, it's just a, and so I'm breaking bones again. So at one point I have double casts on for eight weeks. I think it was 12 weeks in August in New York. So it was miserable and I was devastated. I was frustrated and I felt like my body is failing me. My body is broken. And you can't get any answers. You can't get help. Right. And the message affirmed to me was, yes, your body is broken. Take these medications. It will fix it. And because that was the way I was brought up, that was how I was educated for my job. You'd give, you know, you go to the doctor when something's wrong, they fix you, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't getting fixed. And if anything, I was getting sicker and I was ultimately dying from the medication. And so I decided I wasn't going to do it anymore. So the doctor said, you're not compliant. We can't see you if you're not going to see you. You're you're fired, right? Right, right. (laughs) you're fired because we don't know what to do with you and you make us uncomfortable. And now you're telling us you're not going to be compliant with our treatment plan. So we can't see you. And so then I would go to other doctors, you know, that, that with, I would research that maybe had a different idea. They would come up with these archaic, crazy rare diseases. And I'm like, this does not feel right. Like, I don't think this is right. Again, no one was talking to each other. I would say to the endocrinologist, can you talk to the rheumatologist? Can you talk to the orthopedist? Nope. We don't do that. So no one was putting the whole picture together. No one was addressing the root cause. Everyone was just treating the symptoms. Mm-hmm. And the symptoms were then exasperated by the medications, by the stress of not being seen, heard, or believed, the stress of not knowing what was going on and, and not having support. So you're taught to go to the doctor. They're going to fix you. They're going to support you. They're going to help you. None of them helped me. If anything, I felt like they made it worse. And so it was really scary because I didn't know what to do because I was raised in this idea that they fixed you. I was raised in this idea that that they have all the answers. Mm -hmm. They had no answers. They didn't know what to do. So it got to the point that we went down to Johns Hopkins because they see like all of the really ridiculously crazy complex cases. The the ones nobody else knows what to do with. And you have to, like, you have to apply to be seen Mm -hmm. by them. Mm -hmm. And they screen applicants and then they tell you if you can come down or not. So you pay for the privilege to be seen. And you're, you're hoping and praying that they'll take you. That they'll have an answer. Yeah. So it was January. We flew down to Baltimore. And this was the first time really my husband had gone to any of the appointments with me. And so he flew down there with me. We had to stay for a few days because they wanted us to see different departments And I remember sitting there trying to explain to him, like, listen, don't get your hopes up. Because he was like, oh, they're going to fix you. This is the answer. You had to get sick enough, but they're going to fix you. At this point, I could not eat anything. I couldn't hold anything down. It wasn't sleeping. Like, it was bad. I was 85 pounds. Oh, so you're starving. You're starving to death. The migraines are debilitating. Like, I could not function. So my husband, we couldn't do this in a day trip anyway. Like, it wasn't feasible. And so... We get there. The rheumatologist was the first person we saw. She looked at me. She reviewed. You know, at that point, I think I had like a briefcase of, of lab results. Yeah. Like thousands of pages of labs. Yeah. Because you're like, we don't need to do these again. Yeah. 
and you know, these are all the results I've had from the MRIs and the cat. I really don't want to have more, any more radiation. Like I, I'm done. Right. And cat scans and all this stuff. And so she looked at everything. She said, we reviewed your chart, basically did a grand rounds. We don't know what to tell you. Oh, great. Oh, I bet that was incredibly heartbreaking and devastating. Because even though I thought I didn't have my hopes up, I did. And I knew my husband and my family did because they were like, this is our last chance. And so he just looked at me like, well, now what do we do? And I said, welcome to the last five years of my life. And they, they had nothing for you. They were just like, yeah, yeah, Yeah. you can go back home now because there's something we could do. Oh, I basically have no suggestions. Only thing I could tell you if it helps you, because my husband's like, you're just going to leave us like this. Like, that's all you have to say. She said, well, if you got to go to three different rheumatologists, you're going to get three different diagnoses. And I said, but that doesn't make sense. Because if everyone is looking at the exact same things and you all have the same similar training because medical school is very structured, you shouldn't have different diagnoses. That doesn't make any sense. And she said, you should have back surgery. I think I, at that time I was like 31 or 32. You should have back surgery because you're going to be in a wheelchair if you don't. And I said, Oh my God, <laughs> uh, I'm 31, 32 years old. I'll keep up with like the three times a week chiropractic. That gives me a little relief. I'm not going to have surgery at 31 years old. And so, yeah. So I remember we went back to the hotel. My husband was really upset and he's like, well, what are you going to do now? And I said, I'm not going to do anything. And he thought I was just upset. And I said, no, I'm done. I'm done with this merry-go-round of the doctors and the tests and the having hope and getting disappointed and no one listening to me. I'm done. Like, this is my mm-hmm. last, I did this all for you guys. Cause you really wanted me to do this. And you felt like it was going to be the saving grace. I'm not doing this anymore. So and you're so- like, if, if that means this is going to be it for me, that's it. I'm done. Like I've resigned myself. You're done, done. Yeah. Like if, I, if I'm supposed to, if this is going to kill me, then I let it kill me. Cause I can't fight it anymore. It's been five years. So he obviously was not happy with that. And then he called my parents. They were not happy with that answer. And it was kind of, we'll talk about it when you get home. And I said, no, it's, it's not going to change. Like, this is what it is. And at that time I was seeing an integrative practitioner in New York and he, he was not listening to me at all. Like he had this idea of what he thought I should do. I did it. I got worse. Mm. He said, well, that doesn't make sense. I said, listen, I've been through this so many times before you're missing something. I did this research. Could you look into this? He didn't want to look into anything I suggested. And, and this is an integrative doctor yes. who's supposed to be yes, looking at the individual. Be, yes. Looking for the root cause, putting it together. And he wasn't. And so I thought, what, how are you any better than any of these other doctors? Because you're still not listening to me. You're still not seeing, hearing, or believing me. And so that felt worse because mm. I thought this person was going to look at everything. At that point, I couldn't get in with a functional doctor. And again, I live in New York and there are a lot of functional doctors. At that point, there was not. But can you say what what a functional doctor is? So a functional doctor is a, okay, I'm going to say this loosely because (laughs) there's a lot of people now who call themselves a functional doctor and they do like a month training. They don't actually have full functional doctor experience training. So basically a functional doctor is a doctor who is an MD, but they look at the whole picture and they will look at the root cause of what's going on. So they will say, oh yeah, your thyroid's not working, but why is your thyroid not Okay. But so how is a functional doctor different from an integrative doctor? So to me, to me, integrative and holistic, they kind of are the same thing. So they, they claim that they look at the whole picture, but the 
experience I had was that they want to pretend they're a little bit different than a regular MD, but to me, they're, they're not. So they, okay. they, they, they claim that they're going to give, they're not going to give as much medication. They're going to use food okay, and diet, mm-hmm. but the experiences that I've had is that they kind of want to set themselves apart from other doctors, but that they, a lot of them don't have the training. Okay. And that's, that's not to say that there isn't good integrative doctors out there, holistic practitioners. I just found that in my experience, a lot of people will say a lot of things to get clients and they don't actually have the experience okay. the knowledge to help those clients. And okay. So, so functional is, is more medical, but trying to get to root cause. Right. And I mean, and not that integrative isn't, but I right. see integratives trying to fix with other things as well. Like, they, and they will actually, the integrative sometimes will actually also coordinate with your other doctors. They may okay. speak to endocrinologists. They, they may try to work collectively together. Mm-hmm. The functional practitioner, a lot of times they have a specialty. So for instance, my functional practitioner, her specialty is women. So she okay. looked at women things, so hormones, any sort of women's issues. So because I was, I knew I was having a lot of those issues. That was why I chose her because okay. that's where her experience lies. So gotcha. she's an OBGYN and she has a lot of women's health experience. So I started with her because the other, there are other functional doctors that detoxing protocols is their specialty mm-hmm. or mold right? Which is also another issue I had or multiple chemical sensitivities or Lyme or it runs the gamut. So functional practitioners, a lot of times will specialize okay. in something particular. Okay. But you still don't know what your specific At that point, is. Right. right. <laughs> At that point, we still had no idea. I had suspected what it was. I had suspected I had Hashimoto's. I had suspected I had Lyme. I suspected there was a mold issue because we lived, we live on an Island. It's moldy all the time. And when we bought this house, I smelled mold and I, you know, I smelled at my parents' house. I knew it was a mold issue. And then where I was working prior was old bunkers from world war II, and the rust would just grow on the wall. Oh, wow. I was in a lot of mold. So I knew that was an issue, but no one wanted to listen to me on that. Oh, mold's not going to make you sick. And I said, it's going to make you sick. I read all these books. It's going to make you sick. Cause now it's pretty common that. Right. You but it avoid mold yeah. back then. Yeah. 12 years ago, no one was talking about it. No one was talking about trauma 12 years ago. No one was talking about multiple chemical sensitivities. Mm-hmm. No one was talking about any of these things. So now it's great because if you look for a doctor now, you have a lot more options because people have had a lot more training. They've also had a lot of more experience with people like me. Mm-hmm. Right. So I was guinea pigged by all of the doctors. And I, it got to the point after the integrative doctor was not working out. And I said, I can't do this anymore. I'm sick of being someone's guinea pig. If I'm going to guinea, I'll guinea pig myself. Okay. So I'll just be my own guinea pig and I'll see what works. And right. Now, Cause why not? Right. right? What have you got to lose at this point? Yeah. What do I have to lose? I'm already like, I'm practically dying anyway. What do I have to lose? So at that point I had already changed my diet. I had already gotten rid of all the inflammatory foods. I was on autoimmune paleo diet. He made me vegan, the integrative practitioner, and I got deathly ill. Really? Yes. And the research I saw that I had shown him that he did not like was people with autoimmune need animal protein because it feeds the mitochondria and the mitochondria can only fight or defend. They can't do both. 
So they can't fight pathogens and they can't defend you against illness. So I was chronically, I wasn't getting, wasn't getting like the flu or colds or anything, but I was, it felt like I had the flu every single day Mm. because my body had no energy to do anything else. And I wasn't detoxing properly because I was living in a moldy house. Mm -hmm. And so he wasn't addressing any of those things. So I thought this is not, this is not working. I need to change things up. So I started reading books and I started researching, trying to find functional practitioners that were closer than New York city. And so we found this person in the Hamptons and it, that's still a good, solid 45 minute car ride from where we live. And so my husband took me and it was kind of like deja vu for him. Like, Oh, it's going to be like Johns Hopkins all over. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't really saying anything because I really didn't know. And at that point I kind of was like, whatever happens happens because again, I'll just guinea pig myself for however long until something changes or doesn't change, right? Like I'm leaving this up to whatever happens. And he was not okay with that. So we met with her and she reviewed my briefcase of lab work. Mm -hmm. And she said, I'm so sorry. And I I thought, oh, she can't help me. She's another person, right? This is like number 40. And she said, you've been mistreated for so many years. And I'm really hoping that I can change that. Wow. Yeah. And I remember like, I'm getting the chill saying it. I remember just crying. I was going to say, I think I would have just burst into tears. Like, thank God somebody heard me. And I said, thank you for listening to me. And she said, of course I would listen to you. I said, you're the first doctor out of 40 that have listened to me and not threatened by me. What I'm saying that I have knowledge, right. That I'm not just this compliant patient that has no opinion. And she said, of course, I want you to have an opinion. You're the best expert on your own body. You're the one who's been living this for how many years. Mm -hmm. And so that was year six. So I've been with her for six years and she has, she's not threatened by me saying, I'm going to go home and do my research. And when I switched, so right after Right after, right before I met her, I started dabbling in plant medicine. And so she was all for it. She's like, yeah, see what happens. <laughs> if you don't want to do medication because you've had such adverse reactions to it, we won't go that route. Mm-hmm. But you need to be on some sort of thyroid support. So we did to take a thyroid compound. I wasn't happy about it, but we did do that for a bit. And then it kind of evolved, right? So her and I would do our research together. And it became a collaborative relationship, which is what it should be. Mm-hmm. And that's a message I want listeners to hear is that when you're going through this, and unfortunately my situation is not unique right now. There's a lot of people who are experiencing what I went through. There's a lot more information out there, but if you're in the position that you can't understand it, or you not physically able to do it, like I, at times I couldn't, there's a lot of other people like me who have been through it that can walk you through it and have said like, Hey, these are the things that I tried. This is the first I go through with my clients. And I say, these are the suggestions I have. You don't have to do all of them at once, but every person that, that you bring in should support you. Mm -hmm. Every person you invite to your table needs to earn that position. And so that was the attitude I took when I switched to her, like anyone else that I added to my care, they had to earn that position. It wasn't just assigned to them because they worked for me and they had to listen to me. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a really really important point to hit home to people is that if something doesn't sit right with you, you're not crazy. Cause mm. I was told that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there you were trying so hard to advocate for yourself. Right. right. And they don't, they, dismissed. they don't like that. They're threatened by that. They yeah. just want you to come in, take your 15 minutes, take what's suggested mm-hmm. and we'll see you in three months. And I was like, 
uh uh-uh, it doesn't work for me. Yeah. Listen to what I have to say. And they do not like that. And And so, so what you are saying though, is there are doctors that will listen. It's just probably pretty hard to find them or yeah. And that's, but the thing is, so now a lot of people had podcasts. So back mm-hmm. 12 years ago, no one had a podcast. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. But summits were just starting to come out. So Dr. Amy Myers did an autoimmune summit. I want to say 10 years ago, she was like the first one. And I listened to it and I bought it. And every doctor she had on there, I researched, I got oh, her book. I checked smart. Out website. Yeah. yeah. And anything that was free, right? Cause like money was an issue. So it was use the library listen to the summits that were free, read their books. And I, I would gather information. And then when I switched over to the functional practitioner I'd done, and this can be exhausting, like researching all the time is on your body. And then you're what guinea pig in yourself can be stressful because you see something that works so that you want to do more of it, but that's Mm -hmm. more is not always better. Mm -hmm. And so right when I switched to her, my gram had passed and she and I used to garden when I was little with my mom. And so she had this book about plant medicine. And so my parents were going through her stuff and my dad said, Hey, we found this book of your grams. Do you think you want it? It's about like plant medicine. And I said, I think I want that book. And then the next day, the next week, all the summits I was getting sent in my email were about plant medicine. Oh, so the universe was talking to you. The universe was totally conspiring to switch me. Hey, you did enough of this other research. We want you to go on this side. And so fascinating because as I was listening to these herbalists and these other plant medicine specialists speak, I realized that all these plants I had been growing in in my yard for beauty had a medicinal purpose. And I thought, that's interesting. What if I start making medicine out of them? Mm -hmm. And so I started infusing them into oils. I did a lot of research. I did a lot of research. Again, I got a lot of books from the library. I listened to a lot of summits. I listened to a lot of herbalism workshops that were free, whatever I could get that was free or that was low cost. I did so I could learn. And it doesn't mean you have to do it the way I did it, but it was a great way to learn Mm -hmm. because I, it was trial and error, what worked and what didn't. And so then I started making things to help with my symptoms So I would make tinctures because it was cheaper than buying the two ounce tinctures for $50. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a lot cheaper to make it myself. And then I had enough to last me to do a trial to see if this plant worked and it evolved from there. So now I still make my own tinctures. I make my own infused oils. I still make my own tea blends and all that stuff because I enjoy doing it. And it's something that it helped with the stress as I was learning at the same time. So it became a passion and it was something that I looked forward to doing. So it gave me a purpose as well, which Mm -hmm. I think is really important. And I didn't realize it at the time. So I started talking to her about it and she was like, yeah, let me know what you find out. And then that led me to homeopathy. And then I started exploring homeopathy. And again, it's energy medicine and it uses all natural ingredients, either from animals, plants, or the earth. And they're heavily diluted. And you use these remedies and it rebalances the body energetically because a lot of the symptoms that are coming up is your body giving you messages. It's your body letting you know there's a problem. It's not broken. It was a design with an innate intelligence by divine source, spirit, God, Jesus, whoever you identify with. And we were designed to deal with a certain amount of toxic load Mm -hmm. in our society. We have so surpassed that huge. Yeah. So the body is stressed on a daily basis just by you 
living in this world, right? Not to count all the toxic things we put on our body. Well, you mentioned the deodorant, skincare, makeup, uh, hairspray. I mean, if you just think about like before you leave the house to go to work, right? What you, you know, the shampoo, the conditioner, the body wash, the face wash, the lotion, the makeup, all of that. I think it's 150 different chemicals women put on their body before they leave the house. That's quite a bit. And it's so unfortunate too, because there's no, not a lot of regulation on, on this stuff. Europe is way ahead of us. Right. Yeah. And that's really sad because we don't even know it. We don't even realize it. And some people can handle it. And then some people can't, or they get to the point where they can't handle it anymore. And so I say that, yes. So you can say some people can handle it, but actually no one can really handle it. It's just whether or not you're sensing the body's messages yet. Right. Mm, mm. So it gets to the point where the body is so taxed that you use a toothpaste and it's, that's it. You could, where that's, does that come from? I'm bedridden for three days. Wow. You reach that pinnacle. It's like the tipping says, point, right? Yes, tipping point. No more. I can't handle anymore. And so, and then you, you know, you eat what isn't real food. And that's mm. loaded with chemicals. Our whole food that. system is, exactly. don't get me started on that. <laughs> right. So there's so many different variables that contribute to toxicity and that's not addressed. I mean, in medical school, they have four hours of nutritional training mm. and they they don't talk about chemicals. I mean, I tried and they laughed at me, but you can go to the environmental working group. You can look up the, your laundry detergent and see what it's rated. And look for a better one. I tell clients, you don't have to do it all at once because it can be overwhelming and quite expensive. But I made all of my stuff because seven years ago, there wasn't that many products out there and they were expensive. Mm -hmm. Now the issue is there are a lot of products, but a lot of them are greenwashed. So that's why I advise everyone to go to the environmental working group because they'll tell you in real terms how well or not well, something is rated. So what does greenwashed mean? So greenwash is basically when big corporations buy out these small natural companies for profits because they see a trend starting. So this happened with the supplement industry as well in the last few years. So big companies, who I, I won't name names, but they'll buy these smaller companies like Burt's Bees. And yeah, I was just going to say Burt's Bees got bought. Yeah. And they changed the formulas. Because they're probably too expensive. They didn't want right, to. because it's yeah. cheaper. And they yep. need a profit. Mm-hmm. And so they change the formulas. Seventh generation is famous for this. I check them constantly because they're constantly changing the formulas and they greenwash all of the time. So basically the label will say, this is great. But if you don't know how to read labels, which is something else I had to learn how to do to omit all of these things from my diet, because I found out I had celiac and gluten is called 75 different things, mm-hmm. right? So it's really helpful if you learn how to read labels for many different things, because then you know what is in your products, not just your food products, because your skin is your largest organ. Mm-hmm. But what you put in and on your body is huge. And people don't think about that. I mean, the doctors don't talk about it. Right. So I, there are some doctors now talking about it again in the functional arena, but I don't know any regular doctors talking about it. So it's really important to be mindful of all the different variables. Cause it's not just one variable. Like my situation was complex because there was 50 different variables going on. Yeah. You had nutritional things yes. you had uh, the mold issue. Yeah. yeah. Chemicals mold. I mean, there was thyroid. Yeah. yeah. Thyroid. There was, there was tick bites. There was, I, I wound up being, you know, I have basically all of the tick diseases except. Rocky oh, you do. Yeah. yeah. And so 
the standard tests that were run are not complete panels and they don't give a complete picture. Mm-hmm. And they're based upon sick people, not well people, right? So people don't think about that because when you go to the doctor, it's because you don't feel good. Even if you're going for a physical, you're usually there because someone made you go because something's going on, mm-hmm. not because you're actually going. And the lab results are based upon people that are not healthy. So how can you tell me everything is fine when the lab results are not based on healthy people? So mm-hmm. that's another thing to think about. So there, there are functional doctors that will tell you like which lab works which lab panels to run for certain things you can, there are independent labs. I don't know any of them offhand that you can run your own lab work through if your doctors won't run the labs for you, but a functional doctor will run full complete panels, or they will tell you someone that will run a company that you can, Hey, you can go and buy this test. They'll do the full GI panel. They'll do the, you know, I do the Dutch test for the full hormone panel. And so there are, there are better tests now for those types of things, but they're expensive. Mm -hmm. So how I, for some people who don't want to do that, I suggest they always take as many toxins out as they can. And toxins are not just things you can see. So toxins is the air you breathe, the water you drink. We don't have clean water in our country. People think we do. We do not. The air inside your house is dirtier than the air outside. Mm. So these are all things you, if you put artificial fragrances like candles or glade plugins or all the potpourri, you're polluting your air more with more chemicals that you're then breathing and causing stress to the body. Also all the noise. So that's visual noise, social media, what you ingest as far as violence or traumatic, disturbing images, what you decide to listen to all of those things are digested by the body and the body's already under stress. You're just stressing the body more and the body can't heal. So I I have blue light glasses on because the screens bother me, but also because it messes with your circadian rhythm. So if you're not sleeping well, right. That messes everything up. Yeah. That's really huge. And people don't realize that sleep is so critical. That's when your body heals. Mm-hmm. I mean, another unhidden toxin is EMF, electrical radiation frequencies, right? So pe- people don't see that. You don't know that it's there. I couldn't survive in a house with a smart meter because I would be ill, physically ill. I can't go to people's houses that we don't have Wi-Fi on in the house. Everything is direct wired. We have uh, filters plugged in to mitigate dirty electricity. I mean, these are all things that people talked about in the twenties and no one wants to listen to now because everyone's addicted to their phone, Mm -hmm. but the phone is really not healthy for you in so many ways. So there are things that you can do that are within your control that are free, Mm -hmm. right? So these, you know, you could put a Christmas timer on your Wi-Fi router. So it goes off at nine o'clock at night, every night and it goes back on at 8am. Yeah. Never thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not zapping you with Wi-Fi the entire night. I never thought of that at all. Can we go back for a moment? So you found the functional doctor and how did things really start? You started to dabble in the, the, or dabble. And then that became more, but you were working with the plants, but with the plant medicine, I was making my own tinctures and things because I didn't want to do the medications. Mm -hmm. She said, we'll try your route, but if it doesn't work, I think we should try X, Y, and Z. And I said, Okay, but I'm gonna go my I'm gonna go my way first. And mm-hmm. I'm gonna continue to guinea pig myself with the plant medicine. And then I got better in some ways, but there were still things going on. 
So then there were protocols that she did with me for the mold and, and other issues. And I didn't respond well to them. So I got scared. Oh, she's going to fire me like the other doctors. Mm -hmm. And she, I could tell she was frustrated. And she said, I don't know why this isn't working. It worked with all my other patients. And I said, "It's, it's not working. I feel sicker. I feel worse. And it was, all right, let's, let's figure something else out. So then I started this protocol. It's called microbe formulas, Dr. J. Davison and Todd Watts, Dr. Todd Watts, they created it. And it's basically for everybody, but it's primarily for people who have had tick bites and tick disease. So at that point I had no clear diagnoses of tick bites, confirmed tick disease, but I had had tick bites. And so it was hard for people to believe that this was what was going on. And Again, the tests are not reliable. The test that had come out that was supposed to have been better was then there was like some issues with, I don't know, there was some sort of issue and then you couldn't get that test, the iSpot test. So again, it was kind of like, we don't really know if that's the case. And I knew that was what it was. I said this, I know it, I've had it my whole life. Like I know that this is what it is. And on Long Island, it's rampant. There's literally not one person that doesn't have some sort of tick disease. So it's just whether or not, again, it it affects you, right? Mm -hmm. So there are people that are living and are fine with it. I'm not. My husband got very sick from it two and a half years ago. We're still dealing with it. So I did this protocol. It was like four years into it. And all of the panels showed positive. Oh, wow. Because it hides in the biofilm. So that was when, when I started that protocol, I started with energy medicine because I thought, okay, yes, so we can't see this stuff. Right. And I was taught that if you can't see things, you don't believe in it because it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And I thought, yeah, I can see the plants. They exist. They're real. I could see the tinctures I make. I can see the bombs I make, but this energy stuff, I don't really understand it. So I thought I'll just, I'll research it and I'll try to figure it out. So I started doing Qigong. And I started doing Donna Eden's energy routine, I guess about four or five years ago and stuff started to shift. And I thought, huh, there's something maybe to this. I'm going to keep doing it. And then I, it advanced and I started doing more with the homeopathy and things would shift. Like I, I had kidney stones for two and a half years and I didn't want to get the laser. I didn't want to have surgery all the things weren't working. I was doing an external laser at the acupuncturist office. It wasn't working. And I lift up this homeopathic protocol. And again, I'm like, what do I have to lose? Right. Pain. Having to pee every 10 minutes. Like, okay. Uh-huh. So I think I did it for three months. It was gone. Something I had for two and a half years gone in three months. The doctor didn't believe me. She was like, no way. What did you do? I said, I did this protocol. She said, no. I said, yes, I did this homeopathic protocol and it worked. You know, it worked. I wouldn't have told you if it didn't. And that's when I knew, like, that was one of my biggest issues. Right. And it got, it went away. And that's when I was a full believer. I don't understand it fully. I don't, I can't see how it works. Right. I can't, I, I can't see this thing because it's energetically rebalanced in my body, see that I no longer have kidney stones. Can you give us an example when you say protocol, just a little example of what, what a protocol is that's involving energy? Yeah. So it basically was, you take the remedies, but also you take them in a way that you're open to receiving what's going to come through. Right. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times we take all of these supplements or medications begrudgingly. Right. And so there's a, negative connotation of 
I have to take this thing. I don't really want to take it. I'm so sick of taking this. Right. And mm-hmm. so that's energy. Your thoughts are energy. Right. And Louise Hay says a thought is just a thought. It can be changed. So instead, when I would take the, the micro formulas protocol, when I started taking uh, some of the homeopathic remedies, I had a blessing idea. You mm. know what? Let me just bless this stuff. It's not going to hurt me to do it. Mm-hmm. I, I may not, you know, fully believe that and drink that Kool-Aid, but I'll just try it. it. Can't hurt. Can't hurt. Is that right? I'm like, what do I have to lose? I'll guinea pig this as well. And so, I mean, the rem- it also worked because it was the correct remedy for me. But at mm-hmm. that point, it was early on in, in my learning about homeopathy. So I didn't understand how to pick remedies for people. I didn't understand. I just was like, I'm desperate. I need help. This is excruciating. I can't live like this anymore. It's really painful. And, and none of the Western things were working that, that were non-invasive. So I had understood with the plant medicine that these technologies, these ideas that science wasn't recognizing have been around for thousands of years, right? So plant medicine, indigenous medicine, traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurveda have been around for 5,000 years and they're still used today, right? Why is that? Because they work. Because they work. Right. So, and I believe in it because I saw it work with myself and mm-hmm. I see it work with people all the time. And, but it is also a mindset thing of, again, I was desperate at all of those junctures, right? So you could say like, well, you were just desperate. And so anything would be an improvement. Yeah. I was desperate, but it was such a vast improvement that I reversed so many things. Like, mm-hmm. I can't cry about that. Like it literally is gone. I don't have kidney stones anymore. And so and any person I know that had it, and I told them just do this remedy, this protocol, this homeopathic protocol was like a Banjari protocol, which they are famous homeopaths in India. It worked. They, they have no more kidney stones. There are people that think it's crazy. They're like, I don't understand it. This thing that you're giving me. So that's not for them. Right. So it's, it's well, all the things that I did, I would never tell somebody do exactly what I did and it, it will work. Because I don't think that that's the case because everybody is different. We're all unique. Yes. Right. And everybody responds differently. But there are a lot of key takeaways that I found while going through this journey that I think are really important. And I suggest to every person, not every person is going to do homeopathy, right? Not every person is going to make their own laundry detergent. You don't have to. Mm-hmm. But there are things that are within your control. So when the doctor tells you there's nothing you can do, that's not true. And I think that that's a very disempowering thought as well, because I felt like I had no power. I was giving my power away to every time I went to a doctor, please, please, please let this doctor help me. And when I realized that I could take my power back and I could take some control back, it didn't feel so heavy. Mm -hmm. It didn't feel like I'm doing this all by myself, right? It felt like, okay, it's a little more, more manageable. Yeah. Because at least you could do something. Yes. Like I had some control, right? Mm -hmm. So for to be a control freak and have no control is extremely frightening, Mm -hmm. which exasperates the anxiety, exasperates the depression, exasperates all the physical symptoms because you're terrified and your body cannot heal when you're terrified all the time. You're not going to digest your food. You're not going to sleep. Your body is not going to respond properly the way it was meant to. And so when we label it as broken, we fall into that fallacy. Mm -hmm. We believe that, oh, my body is broken. There's nothing I can do. 
And that's not true. So it yeah. doesn't mean that you have to do it the way I did it or that you have to fight as long as I fought it, right? Because I resisted a lot of it for a really long time. And it doesn't mean that it's easy to not resist it because there are still days that I do too much and I'm like, oh, let me just do one more thing. And then I'll lay down. My body's like, you're going to lay down now. <laughs> like, I'm you telling know, my you. Body, yeah. My body <laughs> still drops me. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's still a constant lesson, but I've 12 years, I have far surpassed. I never thought I'd get my life back. I never yeah. thought I'd be helping other people. So let's talk about that. So how did you evolve into helping others? I basically was doing it while I was sick and I didn't. So I, I always, was offering suggestions. Like, you know, I'd be sitting in the chiropractor and someone would be complaining. I'm like, well, you know, if you read this book, it might, I knew that it would something I wanted to do because I didn't want someone to suffer the same way I had suffered for as long as I had. And if there were things that I could offer other people, I would do that. So after I finished my trauma-informed breathwork training, I felt I was in a place where I felt well enough physically, mentally, and emotionally that I could then now hold people safely in their own healing process. So I basically started in May, like, Hey, I'm doing this thing. And mm-hmm. if you're interested, let me know. And a lot of people, friends that had seen me through the whole trajectory or a lot of the trajectory were like, Hey, yeah, I want to, I want to see what you're doing because mm-hmm. you fixed yourself without the doctors. Like you did it all on your own. And it's a radical idea that you can be your own best healer. And some people don't want to believe that but I do because I've lived it. You're, you're living proof. Yeah. So tell us about what you just mentioned trauma and breath. Yeah. So I did a trauma informed breath work training because I, and again, this is autoimmune, right? So it's kind of like the pull up dual song. You take two steps forward, one step back or one step forward, two steps back. I'm I'm messing it up, (laughs) but you, you get to a point where you get better, but then you kind of plateau. Okay. So I did all these things. I did neuroplasticity. I did DNRS, brain rewiring, all these things, right? And I got a little bit better, but I never had this like incredible healing everybody talks about. I did EMDR. Again, I, I had more mm-hmm. skills than my therapist. So I was like getting re-traumatized while trying to learn how to do EMDR. So I never felt safe to let someone hold the space for me to heal because I wasn't seen, heard, or believed as a child. I wasn't seen, heard, or believed as an adult. So how could I trust somebody else to hold the space so I could be healed? Mm -hmm. And I finally felt ready to do that last summer. And the universe found me a great program. My mentor was priceless in that she had had similar life experiences. So she knew exactly where I was and where I was coming from. And I was able to trust her for the first time in this life for me since at age five, trust someone to hold a safe space for me. Yeah. So she was like, you're going to go on to do big things. And I thought, yeah, okay. (laughs) I just want to heal myself. I just want to be healthy. I just want to be healthy and um, have, you know, someone of a life again. And she said, no, you're going to go on to do really big things. And I thought, yeah, okay. You don't really believe it. And it's been really transformative for me but it's also really transformational when I can watch other people in that time and space. So I do virtual because it's just easier for me to work Mm -hmm. from home and I don't have a space in my house to bring people. So to watch that process of someone trusting me to allow their healing 
and to be open to receiving what comes through. Because when you're doing breath work, it's great for people who can't meditate because I never could. You reach that subconscious state without the effort because you're just letting someone guide you. And you drop in where things that you may not be receptive to hearing when you're conscious, you're receptive to hearing in that session. And so you may come out of it with great insights or that night you may have a dream or an idea in the shower when you're driving, when your brain is kind of turned off a little bit and you're on autopilot, you let that, those other ideas come through. That's your intuition. Mm -hmm. You've reopened yourself up to this innate guide that we always have taught to not listen to, right? We're taught to only listen to the mind, but the mind is only part of the body. Right. Absolutely. So now you can help others. If someone wants to work with you, how would they get in touch with you? How, how, how would they work with you? Well, they could check out my Facebook page. It's called Amy, the amateur herbalist. And I post a lot of information on there. They could DM me. I can offer them a free 10 minute discovery call to see if we're a good fit. I also have a YouTube channel, same thing, Amy, the amateur herbalist. They could see there's foraging videos on there. I have pictures of the gardens. I show them what I'm cooking and stuff like that. Those are the best ways to reach me. And we can see, you could see just on my page, like, hey, is this something that makes sense to me? Do I want to explore this a little bit more? Because the sessions that I do are combination sessions. They all have a breathwork component, but they also have the component of being open to something bigger than us, right? Mm -hmm. Surrender is not a dirty word. Yeah. You can be open to something that you don't have to control. You don't have to understand. You don't have to see it. And you will be open to it. Is it people that are sick that are going to benefit the most or people that are curious or? I think it can benefit anybody because Mm -hmm. even if you're not feeling physically sick yet, we've all gone through a lot of trauma in the past two and a half, three years, just with the, you know, worldwide pandemic. Absolutely. So much trauma. I think it's for everybody. I think it really is for everybody. There is a little extra for people that are struggling with physical or mental imbalances because I've been there. Right. So I can speak to personally how it feels. I can, what I want to emphasize is that I affirm to every client that I see that I see them, I hear them and I believe them no matter what they've been told before in the past, it stops with me because I get it completely. Yeah. And that is very powerful. That is very powerful. Yeah. So, I mean, even from just working with you to figure out how to eliminate toxins. Mm-hmm. It's a basic stuff too, right? And it's stuff people don't have time to do themselves, right? Uh-huh. I mean, you've already done all the work. Right. I'm like, <laughs> I've done it all already. I know it works and what doesn't. So and I you know where the resources it. are too. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that's a, a powerful message right there that you will see, you will listen, you will hear them. Is there anything else you'd like to leave our listeners with? Any last message? Just, that was a pretty good one. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I like that one. Uh, just that it's as hard as it may feel, right? Because there were times it was really hard and I felt like I was going to break and I was broken that it may get harder before it gets easier. But if you keep following your gut, it won't lead you astray. Like When I finally started listening to my inner, my inner guidance, my inner knowing, that's when I my train got back on the right track. When I was able to get off the merry-go-round, I was able to be open to things that were completely outside of what I thought 
would have been healing for me, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you would have told me 10 years ago, I would have done all these things. I'd, there is no way that I would do all those things. And those are the things that I really believe healed a lot of, a lot of my disease, a lot of my symptoms, a lot of my messages from my body. I'm finally listening to my body now, mm-hmm. 12 years later, right? Like it took 12. I mean, I, I would say it take 10, 10 years for me to listen to it. And it's still an, it's an evolving process and, and every day is, is still something. So you're, you're much healthier, but you still have to pay very close attention. Right. And that's why, yeah, I think it's really important that people understand. I think I will probably always contend with something just because of where I live mm-hmm. and that it is not a really friendly area for autoimmune people. So because the humidity and, and a lot of things. So I think that it's important that when you do plateau to not give up and think like, this is just it, right? There's always something else. You know, and I'm always tweaking my own routines of what works and what doesn't work. And I'm, and I'm, I'm resting a lot more and not shaming myself over it because that's what my body needs. I think we all need a little bit more rest. Mm-hmm. It, the energies and the, the world is so pressurized. It's exhausting. Yeah. It's absolutely exhausting. So it's okay to rest. <laughs> it is. It's, it's good. It's a good thing. Yeah. It's we don't have to be going 150 miles every moment of every day. This is never going to go away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amy, thank you so much for all that you've shared. Wow. What an amazing story. You've really been through it, but look where you are and what you've created and what you've learned and what you're bringing to the world and bringing to yeah. people that you have this gift now that you can share with others. I, I think it's it, fantastic. And I hope listeners that if you are struggling, that you'll reach out to Amy and she's offering this 10 minute discovery call. You'll learn a little something and, and maybe this could be what could really change your life. Thank you. All right. Well, you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Unbreakable Spirit. To learn more about Jennifer and her holistic weight loss approach, visit her website at sevencompany.com. That's the number seven, company.com. And please join us for our next episode where we'll hear from more women who overcame hardship and learned how to thrive.